Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. If you have your Bibles, smartphones, or tablets, and you want to follow along, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 23, the passage that was just read. For those of you who are joining us online, we're going to be celebrating communion at the end of this, and you may want to collect for yourself communion elements like uh, bread and juice or water and crackers. If uh, whatever, whatever you have around the house, we would invite you to join in with communion with us. So next Sunday is the 20th. The day after that is March 21st, first day of spring. First day that the max mass mandate comes off, so uh, it will be two Sundays until we can be able to go mask-free in our church, and we will become a mask-optional church, so if you want to wear your mask, you're more than welcome to do that, and if you don't, you're welcome to do that as well. Well, I'm looking forward to that time uh, where we can, uh, we can see each other smile, so that's, uh, that'll be good. And... Uh, some of you will actually have to start shaving. Um, you know, that's a, yeah. You women will be putting on lipstick. Uh, yeah, so. Well, today we come to the end of our series in Philippians, a walk through Philippians. Started January, of, uh, 1st of January, and it has been a good run. Uh, we called it a walk through Philippians. To me, it seemed like a sprint through Philippians. Some of you are saying, oh, we're doing Philippians. Whatever, um, that's okay too. Uh, I, I'm amazed though at how much uh, Philippians has to speak into what's going on in our culture right now. Well, this morning we come to the end of chapter 4. Paul reflects on his own reality. You may remember that as Paul writes this letter, he is in under house arrest in Rome. The church in Philippi has sent Epaphroditus to, uh, with a gift of money to help support Paul while he is under house arrest. Paul ends this letter by writing a short thank you note, and in doing this, he, he shows us some ways that we can live and walk well into the future. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there, there's a lot of uncertainty in our world. We are just emerging from the COVID pandemic, hopefully. With that came the COVID pandemic, came supply chain interruptions and a shift in the economy, and with that came inflation. If you're on a fixed income, that is uh, challenging. Uh, the war in Ukraine is happening. Gas prices and heating costs have gone up. The stock market looks wobbly. Uncertainty is abounding. And there's a number of reactions that you can have to uncertainty. You can have fear and anxiety. We talked a little bit last week about praying through anxiety. And so um, if you find yourself being anxious a lot, I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to that uh, message. Um, here's what I found is that it's harder to be content when things are uncertain. It's easy to start wondering, well, do I have enough? And should I hold on to what I have? And it's easy to become restless in the present because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Um, as you look ahead, uh, it gets harder to 
see what's going to happen. That affects our mental health. It, um, and if that's you, then the first part of what Paul is saying here can be really helpful to you. Remember, Paul is under house arrest. Uh, he is awaiting trial. Uh, the outcome of this trial could be release or, or it could be execution. That's uncertainty. He is reflecting on life. The Church of Philippi has sent him money. And he appreciated the money, but he let them know that his contentment is not based on the money that they sent him. And here's what he says, verse 10 of chapter 4. I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know that what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul says, I know what it means to be in need. I know what it means to be hungry. I know what it means to go without. He said, but I've learned that even when I'm there, I've learned how to be content. I'm content whatever the circumstances is. I find that amazing, don't you? I have been in circumstances where I have felt deprived, and admittedly those circumstances have been uh, few, but I, in those circumstances, have not felt content. I'm sure some of you can relate. During COVID, many of us felt deprived of our freedom to go out to restaurants, to travel, to visit, to live normally. And there were times when I did not feel content. Paul goes on to say, I know what it's like to have plenty too. I know what it's like to be well-fed. I know what it's like to have more than enough. And this is what he says. I know what it's like to be in need. And I know what it's like to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I have learned what it means to be content when I have plenty. First blush, you say, well, of course you're content when you have plenty. That seems to be a no-brainer, but I know many people who are not content even though they have enough. How much is enough? Well, for those people, it's just a little bit more. Content. Content and plenty. Studies show, studies in the United States show, the numbers may be a little different in Canada, that the more you make, the happier you are, up until you make about $66,000 a year. Then after that, the more you make doesn't really increase your happiness at all. I find it interesting. Because there's a lot of people who make a lot more than that and yet they're putting in the long hours and the long days and the uh, extreme work. And they think from that contentment will follow. It's not true. Paul went, when he was writing to, to Timothy, this is what he said. He said in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, But godliness with contentment 
is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Notice that what this implies is that you can be godly and still not be content. You can be godly and still be restless. But there is great gain in godliness with contentment. There's something good about life when that happens. Paul in our verses here says, I've learned the secret of being content. Paul is right. Contentment is huge in this life. A significant number of our problems in life stem out of our inability to be content. Now, don't get me wrong. There's, there's such a thing as holy discontentment. This is where we're discontent with our closeness with Christ or with our character or with an unjust situation. You can be wholly discontent. That kind of discontentment is different from most of the advertising we hear. Advertisers would tell you that you should be content if you are not driving the right car, or have the latest smartphone, or wearing the latest fashion. We're constantly sold on the idea that we cannot be content until we have the right stuff. Paul says that godliness and contentment will give you a far better life than what the advertisers portray. It's not wrong to have stuff, but it's wrong to look for contentment in your stuff. Paul says, contentment is not about what you have or what you don't have. Paul's contentment, he says, in plenty and in want, when I'm hungry and when I'm well-fed, says my contentment comes, here's the secret, from our strength in the Lord. Verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, I, I know this verse gets used for all kind, uh, to motivate ourselves through difficult times. That's fine. But this is really a verse about our ability to be content, whether we have plenty or whether we don't have enough. See, contentment comes out of strength the strength that comes from God. It's the strength to hold the perspective of the kingdom of God when there is plenty or when there's not enough. It is the strength to hold the perspective of the kingdom of God whether you're walking in green pastures and beside still waters or you are walking through the desert and suffering. It is the strength to hold the perspective of the kingdom of God when there is not enough. It's the strength to hold faith in the goodness of God when the circumstances around us are not good. It's the strength to hold on to our identity in Christ as his beloved, beloved children, his chosen, his called, even when the world is piling up on us when we feel like we don't belong, or we don't seem to be as blessed as those around us. This kind of strength comes from the Lord. We can do all things through him who gives us strength. I know that I've experienced this, and maybe you have too, where our spiritual life 
does better when life is challenging. When things are good, we kind of coast along. But when things go wrong, we know we need the Lord's strength. Strength comes from the Lord. Even in times of goodness, I've learned to be content and learn to lean on this strength even when I have plenty, Paul says. It's Christ who gives me strength. And that's the secret of contentment. Now up to this point, Paul has been talking about what the gift of the Philippi church has meant to him. Now Paul goes on to talk about what the gift of the Philippians means to the Philippians. First of all, he gives a little backstory to the generosity. Verse 14 says this, Yet it was good of you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except for you. Uh, for even when I was in uh, Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Paul says, you have a history of supporting me. There have been times when nobody supported me except for you. God has used you to meet my need again and again, time after time, and you've shown yourself to be generous. I say the spirit-led generosity is huge in the kingdom of God. Godly people are generous people. Note how he says in verse 14, it was good of you to share in my troubles. The idea here is that, Philippians, as you've given money to me, you have in fact partnered with me in my ministry of sharing the gospel. You partnered with me. You shared with me in my troubles. When you give, you are partnering with the people and the organizations you give to. The red balloon, as I said before, behind me is a symbol of someone coming to know the Lord through the ministry of our church. If you have given to our church, you've been part of that person coming to know the Lord. We partner in the gospel together. When you hear of people being discipled and encouraged, and you have given money or time, you have partnered with us in that discipleship and encouragement. Paul tells the Philippians, I appreciate what um, uh, I appreciate what you've done, what you've given to me as a partner in the gospel. But then he goes on to say that there's much more going on here than just partnership. He says this, verse 17, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. He says, I don't desire your gifts. Now, he's already said, I rejoice, in, in verse 10, I greatly rejoice in your renewed concern for me. He's already said, I, I'm really thankful that you gave to me. What does it mean I don't desire your gifts? Well, of course you desire their gifts. What are you talking about, Paul? 
What he means is, it goes back to contentment. It says, I don't desire gifts in the sense that I'm not sitting here saying, I hope they give to me. I hope they give to me. I hope they give to me. He's saying, I've learned to be content in plenty and in want. Um, I'm content with what I have right now. But when he, they do give, he rejoices. What I do desire, Paul says, is that more be credited to your account. He's talking about what Jesus was talking about when he said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. One of the things that happens when we are generous is that we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Paul says, this gift that you sent to me through Epaphroditus has been credited to your account in heaven. The offering that you give to Asbury is credited to your account in heaven. That was true for the church of Philippi, it's true for the church here. When you give, God credits to your account. You store up treasure in heaven. And look at how God sees that. End of verse 18. You are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing God. I used to see this as, well, that's really nice flowery language. But actually what's going on here is quite profound. He says, the money you've sent is a fragrant offering. Paul only uses this term, fragrant offering, three times. One, he talks about Christians being the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of Christ. There's here in Philippians chapter 4, fragrant offering. Then Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. It says this, And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. The money you gave is a fragrant offering. Jesus sacrificing himself on the cross was a fragrant offering. Now these things are, are nowhere close to being equal. But they're the same in kind. It's part of self-sacrifice. You give of yourself. Paul goes on to say, what you gave is an acceptable sacrifice. Now, if you were well-versed in the Old Testament, as Paul is, you would understand that that's kind of like a code phrase. It says in Leviticus, the offering was an acceptable sacrifice. Why? Well, the, the offering you gave was of an animal that didn't have any blemishes. They weren't sick, they weren't beat up, they weren't bruised, they didn't have any blemishes. It's an acceptable offering. It's pleasing to God. Paul saying, when you gave to me, you gave to God. That pleases God. It's a good offering. It's an acceptable offering. And he goes on to say, when you're generous, it pleases God. There is something profoundly spiritual in giving money to God through giving to the poor, through giving to his work, through giving to a godly need. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. This is what he says. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You gave an offering 
that was pleasing to God, and God's going to meet your need out of his riches. I know that this verse gets used a lot when money is scarce, when resources are scarce. And that's fine. But this verse was never meant to be taken in isolation. This verse is part of the sowing and reaping principle. Paul says, you gave to me, and my God will meet your needs. Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give, and will be given to you. Good measure, shaken to get pressed down, shaken together and running over, it will be poured into your lap. With, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's essentially what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you gave to meet my need, and I know that God will give to meet your need. Now, I know that people have abused this scripture over years. Preachers are saying, you know, well, if you give me $100, God's going to give you $1,000 in return. No, that doesn't work like that. That's not what's going on here. But there is a sowing and reaping principle. You cannot outgive God. The blessings that he returns may not be monetary. They may be spiritual in nature. Or you just know that you're blessed in the heavenly realms. They may be relational. Maybe a blessing of protection. Think of the Hebrew people who walked through the wilderness to the uh, from Egypt and to the from walked through the wilderness from Egypt to the promised land. And it says, and their sandals didn't wear out. I wonder if God does that to our cars. Generosity has a way of returning to you and you don't know how God's going to do it. That's what Paul is saying when he says, when you gave to me and by giving to me you gave to God and you became a partner in my ministry and God's going to supply your needs. As I wrap up this morning, I've got two questions for you. Where are you in terms of contentment? It may be time to push into finding strength in the Lord so that he can give you not only the perspective but the power to live well in this world. Second question is, is where are you at in regards to generosity? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was with the people of Philippi. He's with the people of Asbury. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion and in communion, we remember that Jesus gave his life for us. It was the ultimate act of generosity. And from that act of generosity flows all things. The fact that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. That we can be content in the middle of every situation. It flows from that act of generosity. The fact that we can store up treasures in heaven flows from that act of generosity. Jesus gave himself for us. This morning we celebrate his generosity. And we're looking for the grace to be like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your gift of giving yourself for us. And thank you for Paul who 
shows us how to live through the rough patches of life. Lord, give us grace to live out your strength in times when we're tempted to be discontent with what we have. Give us your grace to be generous. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.